0: You're about to get very close. John chapter 14, where we are. Um, it's funny, on Thursday night I taught on the whole book of John in one evening. So, And you're like, you took five years, we're still in chapter 14, but we're going a little slower here on Sunday mornings. Um, but uh, John chapter 14, Let's read, let's read again, just read verse, I want to try to finish this thought here today about the great high priest we have. Uh, Verse number 12, at the end of John 14, 12, the Bible says, Jesus speaking in the upper room to his disciples, he says, I go unto my Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I said last week that, isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ is the only high priest whose ministry actually began after he died? right most people when you die you're done jesus christ died and his ministry as high priest only began and in verse 12 you see he says i go unto my father he's talking about his coming death his coming resurrection and his coming ascension when he would ultimately leave his disciples at least in person and then what's the next thing he says and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. So he's saying right there, hey, I'm leaving, and when I leave, I'm going to enter this office as high priest. I'm going to be this intercessor for you, this mediator for you. And why is he telling disciples this? Why is he telling disciples this as he's getting ready to check out? Because if you're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciples, folks, You better pray. You better ask. And if you're going to pray, you need a high priest to bring your prayers before the Lord. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 7, if you want to flip over there, Hebrews chapter 7, we have said that the book of Hebrews emphasizes and focuses on Jesus Christ as a high priest. So we've turned to the book of Hebrews a lot the last few weeks. And we've said Jesus Christ as this new high priest, this new direction the high priest would be not a high priest like Aaron's descendants, but a priest after the order of Melchizedek, right? A new high priest that this new high priest has eight attributes throughout the book of Hebrews. Eight being the number of new beginning. And so there's eight kind of modifiers, so to speak, descriptions, so to speak, given to Jesus Christ as high priest that we've been looking at. Two weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews 2, where it said he was a merciful high priest and a faithful high priest. Then last week, we looked at Hebrews 4, where it said he was a great high priest. Today, we're going to cover the last five, so buckle up, all right? Verse 26 says, for such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. We're going to talk about those last five attributes of our Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And even if, even if you don't remember a lick of anything I've preached the last few weeks, that'd be fine. If there's one thing you take away is, you have a place where you can go and pray. If that's all you could take away is this provokes you to pray more and seek God's face more, I'll count it a win. I'll count it a win. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you now. Lord, this is your book. It's inspired by your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit lives inside of us, Lord, and communes with our spirit. These are your people that you've washed in your blood. This is your church. This is your time. Lord, glorify your Son and all that's said and done as we preach and teach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, right there, the first thing we want to say is our high priest is holy. That means he's perfectly pure in heart, perfectly pure in temper, perfectly pure in disposition. He's free from sin. Amen? (laughs) I mean, four times Jesus Christ is called the, quote, Holy One in the New Testament. Three times in Acts, one time in John. And whenever God establishes a fourfold mention, He's establishing a truth to build on. And if you're going to build a prayer life, it's good to know you're building a prayer life on a high priest who is holy, who is pure, who is immaculate. That's who Jesus Christ is, even the devil's recognize jesus christ as the holy one of god even those unclean spirits could recognize that jesus christ was holy do you look at deuteronomy chapter 33 way back in the beginning of your bible the fifth book of your bible deuteronomy 33 is the first mention of this phrase holy one holy one jesus christ is called the holy one in the new testament and here's the first time the holy one is mentioned in the old testament And it's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about Israel's high priest. See 33 8. And of Levi, that was the tribe that produced the priestly class. And of Levi, he said, Let thy thummim and thy urim be with thy holy one. He's talking about their high priest. Whom thou didst prove at Massa and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah. The first mention of Holy One pertains to the high priest because that person who was supposed to be that intercessor between God and men. God expected from jump that he was going to be a Holy One. He's supposed to be your Holy One. Is Jesus Christ your Holy One? He's my Holy One. He's the one that intercedes between God and man for me. He's holy. And a man who's going to come before the presence of God had better be your Holy One. You better be going to somebody to get you to God that is pure, that is free from sin, that is perfectly immaculate. I hope you're not going to somebody else. I hope you're not thinking I'm going to get you to God. I hope you don't think, you know, Father McGillicuddy or Rabbi Wexman's going to get you to God. You need somebody to get you to God that is your Holy One, your pure intercessor. You know, you read back in the Jewish economy and that high priest Aaron and his descendants they'd go in one time into the presence of God to bring the blood on the day of atonement and they had these robes and this attire that God described that they would wear and on their robe God told them to put an interesting little thing he said in Exodus 28 and 39 he says in the hem of the high priest's robe I want you to sew some little bells in there And those little bells were in there so you could listen on the outside and say, he's still alive, okay, he's still moving around. Because if that high priest walked into the presence of God with sin on him, God would kill him in his spot. You couldn't walk into the presence of God with sin on you and if you're going to intercede to God for me, I want my high priest to be holy. I want him to be pure for sin. And I don't need to listen to bells. I know that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I know he's alive forevermore. He told John on the Isle of Patmos, I'm alive forevermore. I don't need to listen to the bells. I listen to the holy scriptures. But in the Old Testament, they'd sit out there and they'd listen to those bells. And if they heard those bells going, they knew that that high priest was doing what he had to do and God didn't kill him where he stood. Because the high priest was supposed to be holy, and the sad state of affairs is and I'm going to step on your toes right now if you're religious. I apologize, but I've I got to say this the world is full of so-called priests and preachers, and this guy and that guy with questionable character. Right So-called priests and preachers and whatever you want to call them, who are far from holy and cannot be trusted around your children. We see it all over the news. Isn't that sad? Aren't you glad? I don't have to worry. When my Holy One says, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about what is his intention, what is his motive, what is he doing, what's he about, is he going to hurt them? I have got a high priest that is holy, free from sin, not a smirch upon his character, I can trust Him with my babies. I can trust Him with my finances. I can trust Him with my needs. I can trust Him with my spouse. I can trust Him with my troubles. I can cast all my care upon Him because He's never going to use it against me or hurt me with it. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. Hey, is He your high priest? Is He the one that you're going to to get some things from God? (laughs) Hey, let me ask you this question. Are you saved? Oh, you pause there for a second. Are you saved? then you know what you are? You're a believer priest. You're a little Christ down here. You're standing in the stead of God, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5. And if you're standing in the stead of God as a believer priest, are you aiming to be holy? My high priest is holy. Are you trying to be holy? Right? If you're not trying to be holy, what good are you to the people around you? They can't turn to you. They can't ask you for help. They can't ask you for prayer because your mind's in 45 different directions and you're so full of self that you don't even know which way God is moving. Right, if we're supposed to be a believer priest, you think about the world we're living in and the tension and the problems and the heartaches and people's hearts are failing them for fear. People are so needy out there. And you're the believer priest that God has sent into their midst to intercede before them. The plague has begun. You have the access to God. You can run out there like Aaron and stop the plague. But if you're not holy, if you're not aiming to be clean, what good are you? Your mind is in a thousand different places. You're shot. My high priest is holy and people are looking at you and they want their holy one, their Christian, their believer that they know. They're expecting you to be Holy. Oh, they've never said to you, oh, I thought you were a Christian, (laughs) right? They know, they know, the lost world knows you're supposed to be holy, but we don't know (laughs) we're supposed to be holy. Number two, Jesus Christ, I told you, I'm just going to like, boom, hit you with one and then move on. Jesus Christ, our high priest, isn't just holy. The verse in Hebrews went on to say, he's harmless. He's not injurious. He's not looking to hurt you. Praise God for that. For such an high priest became us who is holy. That's his character. Harmless. That's his motivation. Right? You know, we read about uh, Hippocrates, right? That Greek physician from antiquity. And Hippocrates is where we get from his writings, we get the Hippocratic Oath that doctors are supposed to take and in the writings of Hippocrates from antiquity he writes about those who practice medicine and he very famously wrote of people practicing medicine and he said quote first do no harm first do no harm and I, I mean, you go to the doctor and you hope that the doctor has your best intentions at, at heart, right? You're just trusting that that doctor doesn't want to hurt you. He or she only wants to help you because they pledged an oath that first, they would do no harm. Not worry about padding their checks. Not worry about milking the insurance companies. Not worry about just getting you out of the office so they get booked triple books so you sit there for three hours while they make more copays. No, their first intention is supposed to be first do no harm the physician is supposed to be there to help you and folks you have a great physician who never wants to do you harm Jesus Christ never wants to hurt you never wants to get anything out of you never wants to injure you because he's harmless a bruised reed would he not break smoking flax would he not quench Right? He was gentle and harmless. That's the first thing you've got to get. If the physicians are pledging, first, do no harm. You know what you need to realize? That first, Jesus Christ has a motivation that's always for you. Right? Psalm 56 says, this I know, for God is for me. So you see, you think God's against you. You think God just wants to spoil your fun And steal your joy and take, you know, just, you know, rain on your parade. And you know what it says in Deuteronomy? That all the words he gave you are for your good. He has a motivation that only wants to help, that's only benevolent. You don't believe it. I could tell from your reaction, you don't believe it. You think he's mean, you think he's cruel, you think he's stingy, you think he's holding something back from you, that if you just could get free from the shackles of this old-time religion, then maybe you'd really live it up, but you're just going to grin and bear it because, you know, mom or dad are watching. But no, God's saying, I want the best for you. I don't want to hurt you. Go to Luke chapter 9. Can you go over to Luke chapter 9? Again, if the only thing you take away is that you could pray to this high priest and go to him, That's a win. That's a win. Listen, you know why I want to know my high priest is harmless? You want to know why? Cuz if you're going to bring your dirty laundry to your high priest, the muck and mire of your day, your problems, your failures, your sins, your shortcomings. If you're going to come and storm the throne with those things, you want someone who'll do no harm never endanger you, never look to poison or destroy you. With all that inside information you're giving him, he's never going to turn around and use it against you. Amen. Luke nine fifty one. The disciples aren't always like that. We're idiots. We're flesh. We hurt each other. Luke nine fifty one. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, ye you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You see that? These disciples got all hopped up on themselves. They said, let's let's call down fire like Elijah. I got the book chapter and verse. Let's do it. He said, that's the wrong spirit. You know who's calling down fire? The Antichrist in Revelation. (laughs) He's burning people up. He said, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gentle like a dove. The Holy Spirit's harmless as a dove. What are you doing trying to burn people up and destroy them? That's the wrong spirit. I came to save people. I came to help people. You know what he says? Let's just go to another village. That's good preaching right there, Jesus. (laughs) They don't want to hear it? I'm just going to go to another village. (laughs) Right? Don't get so hopped up on yourself, they didn't receive me. Let's bring down the fire on them. Why don't you have a little mercy, numbskull, and just go to another village, right? We're supposed to go about doing good like our Savior went about doing good. We should be the most helpful, kind, polite, courteous people on the face of the earth. I ain't getting out-niced by a heretic or a cult member. I'm not getting out-sweeted by anybody that doesn't know Jesus Christ. I should be the most benevolent person that my neighbors, friends, and family know. And it doesn't always have to be a track. It doesn't always have to be a gospel witness. It might be holding a door, helping somebody move, or carrying something in their backyard for them. But you should be the most gracious people on the face of the earth so they know you want to help them. Sadly, the people in your life often use your problems against you to hurt you. They got that little black book. Or if they're sophisticated, a spreadsheet. (laughs) Right, Mark? You know, they've color-coded it. They got the cells, you know, all lined up. E equals plus A. You know, you know they, they got all your stuff written down. That's why when I was in religion, i gonna be honest with you, I said it last week, but I'll say it again. I was always uncomfortable being totally honest with the priest in the box. I, I didn't feel like I could tell him everything because I, he was just a man. I, I, it just kind of like weirded me out. And, and very too often, we're not vulnerable with each other because we might hurt each other that's the truth oh we got real quiet up in here right right we're not vulnerable with each other we don't share our needs and stuff with each other because we're afraid is this person going to use this against me is this person going to weaponize this against me is this person going to put this in the back of the mind and the next time I screw up it's like oh there you went again that's not the wrong that's the that's the wrong spirit You know not what manner of spirit we have. But I'm thankful that the Bible says we can cast all our care upon him. For he careth for us. He careth for you. You know what Jesus Christ says? You don't have to hold anything back. I've got the right motivation. I've got the best motivation at heart. Do you as a believer priest by faith in the Lord Jesus have the right motivation with each other, with the lost, with people around you? Are you just putting stuff in your black book and keeping an account so you can know, okay, I could trust this one, I can't trust that one, gotta watch out for this one, you know? And you got your little black book. That stuff is as much out of hell as fornication and drugs, all right? That is as icy, cold spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit that says, let your hearts be knit together in love. That's not the Holy Spirit that says, charity, you know, suffereth all things in his kind, right? That's not the right spirit. You know what Jesus told his disciples, those Jewish disciples? In Matthew 10, he said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, so know what the devil's doing and be wise, and harmless as doves. Doves a type of the Holy Spirit. Be as harmless as the Holy Spirit is with people. Be as gentle as the Holy Spirit is with people. Be as long-suffering as your Savior and His Spirit is with people. You say, well, that's just the Jewish economy. Okay, let's go to Philippians, under grace, by Paul, and he says in Philippians 2:15, to Christian disciples, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You know what helps you shine? Your charity your benevolence showing people that you've got the right motivation you're not just trying to get them in the pew and get them converted no you care about their soul and you care about their lives and you care about their families David said no man cared for my soul they need to see you care for their soul not just their religious denomination but you care for them God says you can cast your care upon me for he careth for you, not just your faith. He cares for you. They need to see that you care for them before they're ever going to come to you. Third, our high priest, Jesus Christ, isn't just holy. That's his character. He isn't just harmless. That's his motivation. But he's undefiled. That's his resolve. That's his walk. Now, you, listen, listen. You can tell your high priest, Jesus Christ, everything. You believe that? Without worrying if Jesus Christ will get turned aside by anything. You know that? You could pour out your worst sins, your most troubled thoughts, and it's not going to stick to him and make him any dirty. It's not going to defile him at all. You can give him everything. But I'll be honest. You confess your faults and your sins to a man and you may defile him. You may soil his mind. He might not look at things the same way again. It's only so much a person can take sometimes. And it's the grace of God that allows somebody to kind of move through those things. But Jesus Christ, hit him with your best shot. He's undefiled. His walk will not get turned aside. He's not, oh my God. Did you hear what, Gabriel, did you hear what Pat was talking about? Oh, i got to put my fingers in my ears. It was just so dirty. Talk. No, no. He says, give me everything. I'm I'm undefiled. I could take it. I could take it. You know, you you go home and you you scotch guard your couch. You scotch guard your couch so you can't stain it. So the dirt doesn't stick to it. Right? It just kind of rolls right off of it. Well, folks, your high priest is better than Scotchguard. He's undefiled. Your dirty sins don't stick to him. They don't defile him. They might defile me. They don't defile him. They say, hey, you throw enough mud on the wall, it sticks. Hey, you throw everything at Jesus Christ, he remains undefiled. Undefiled. Uh, 2,000 years of people pouring out their sins and their failures and their dirty stuff. You read about the son of Sam David Berkowitz up there. I think he's, is it Attica? I forget where he is. He's up north New York somewhere. I read his journals and you know, the stuff he had to, he got saved. And I believe he really did get saved. I believe he really did get saved because he told them, don't parole me. I don't deserve to be paroled. I should serve the rest of my life in jail. That to me is a sign of repentance. If you've transgressed and you're justifying yourself left and right, that's not repentance. That's crocodile tears. That's Esau. Oh, bless me, bless me, even also my father, hast thou only one blessing. But David Berkowitz's like, no, I, deserve to, I, I took people's lives. I deserve to stay in jail. You think about him wrestling with God? You think about the stuff he had to talk to God about? You think about the stuff he had to pour out at the master's feet and ask God to help him with? You want to talk about devils? You want to talk about demons? That man was communing with unclean spirits. You think about the stuff he wrestled with and had to come to the Father's throne about? You know what Jesus Christ, it never knocked him off the throne one inch. It never caused Jesus Christ to break a sweat. He is undefiled. That guy walked up to me and poured all that stuff out of my feet. I'd scream and run down the hallway. It would mess me up. It would twist me around. I remember being out there in Haiti and Maurice was talking about some wild stuff. Brother, it was crazy. And he was talking about some wild stuff about demons and devils. And one of the young brothers there got totally freaked out. Like freaked out so much that one of the pastors had to say, brother, you need to step away from this table if you can't handle the conversation. It was defiling him. He couldn't handle it. Jesus Christ says, I can handle it. I can handle it. John chapter 14. That's a some high priest you got there. I wouldn't talk to the guy down the street. I'd talk to the one up in heaven. John chapter fourteen. John chapter fourteen. Look what Jesus says here at the end of this chapter. We haven't gotten there yet. We'll get there someday. <laughs> John fourteen twenty nine. Jesus says this. He says, "And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh." That's talking about the devil and hath nothing in me. He's got no hooks in me. He's got no claim on me. He's got no vices in me. He's got, I got no strings to pull me. He's me. He's just totally free to serve God. That devil has got nothing in me. You know, the devil is always trying to get his hooks in you. He's always trying to get a hook in you because you're, you're fish, right? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, the devil knows you're fish and he's always trying to, you know, Get a hook in you. He just pull you around a little bit and reel you this way and reel you that way. And if he gets enough hooks in you, he'll just tear you apart. You know, you hook the same fish a hundred times, or everybody's hooking the same fish, you put all those holes in the fish, that poor thing's like, you know, gonna sink or something like that. But he's always trying to get these hooks in you, the devil. Don't you think the enemy tried to get his hooks into Jesus Christ? If he goes after you, you don't think he went after the Son of God? If he goes after the sons of God? Hey, it says the temptation in the desert only ended for a season. It's not like the devil showed up one time and said, You know, command these stones be made bread. You know, jump off the pinnacle, bow down and worship me. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) No, it says he just departed for a season. That means he came back, and 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 he haunted, and he taunted, and he kept trying to throw those hooks and cast those hooks and just land something in the Son of God so that he could kind of pull him off course just a little bit. But he never did. Right? He had nothing in him. He was undefiled. He had a walk and a resolve that I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk for my father. I'm going to serve my father. And the only thing that satisfies me is doing the will of him that sent me. And he was never turned aside. That's amazing. How often you and I get turned aside. How easily we get knocked off course. How easily we get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Not my savior. Not my high priest. Not my rock. That's a good one to talk to. So you can give him everything. Are you like that? You know what the Bible says in the book of Set, Song of Solomon? That's a, that's a book about you and Jesus. He's the bridegroom and you're the bride. And two times the bridegroom calls his bride, my undefiled. My undefiled. I wonder, are you letting the devil get his hooks into you? Have you? Given space to the devil, giving him an entry through your unforgiveness, through your lust, through your anger, through your pride. You're giving him all these entries, and he's, you know what he's trying to do? He's just like, oh, I got a hook in you. And he's reeling you in, and he's just pulling you in. You're trying to kick against the pricks, and the more hooks he gets in, the easier it is to pull him in. You're pulling in a big game fish. They're not just putting one hook in there. They're shooting harpoons and all this stuff. And they're pulling that marlin or that shark or that something in. And the more hooks he gets in you, the easier it is to kind of reel you in and move you where he wants you to go. So what are you doing, folks? You've got the power to cut those lines. You've got the power to never give place to the devil. Are you letting the devil get hooks into your life? Getting hooks into you? Search your heart. Because Jesus Christ is coming, and when he comes, he's going to just take those big scissors and cut those fishing lines right there and leave the hooks behind. Stop letting those hooks sink into your life and into your mind and into your heart. Right? The Bible says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with 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 the yoke of bondage. The Bible says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So how's your walk? My Savior's walk was always book, chapter, verse, every jot and every tittle. He fulfilled all of it. He never got turned aside. He never dipped the colors. He never broke a verse. The Bible says the scripture cannot be broken, and he never broke a single scripture. He was walking in the law of the Lord, and the devil shot all his fiery darts and cast all his hooks, and Jesus Christ could get to the end of his life and say, he's got nothing in me. What a Savior. Amen. Amen. What a God. You and I are like, we got... pulling them out over here but hey man debride yourself man get the stuff out cut some cords Look, get yourself free number four number four go to genesis 49 that's some savior you got huh maybe you appreciate him a little more maybe you might want to talk to him a little bit more so Jesus Christ, our high priest, we've said he's holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled. And the fourth one is, Jesus Christ, our high priest, is also, quote, separate from sinners. What exactly does that mean? I'm going to offer what I think it means from the scripture. Genesis 49, 22. It's talking about Joseph, right? Jacob is uh, prophesying about his children and the future of those tribes. And he says of Joseph and Joseph's descendants, he says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, Genesis 49, 22. Even a fruitful bow by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel even by the God of thy Father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and blessings of the womb. The blessings of thy Father have prevailed above the blessing of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Now, I'll explain that. Don't worry, you're like, what does that mean? I'll I'll try to get to it. Joseph is one of the purest types of Jesus Christ. And he's said to be separate from his brethren. And what made Joseph separate from his brethren is a lot what makes Jesus Christ separate from sinners. Joseph was beloved of his father, like Jesus Christ is beloved of his father. Joseph was betrayed by his brethren, like Jesus Christ was betrayed by his people. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, like Jesus Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was cast into a pit where his soul was in anguish, Genesis 42 tells us. Jesus Christ was cast into the pit. He went to hell where his soul was made an offering for sin. It burned there. Joseph went to prison, spoke to two men and ended up exalted at Pharaoh's right hand. Jesus Christ went to prison, preached to some spirits and was exalted at the Father's right hand. And in verse 26 it says, all these blessings are on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Joseph experienced extraordinary trials to receive extraordinary blessings. And the Lord Jesus Christ faced extraordinary suffering to be crowned with extraordinary glory and honor. Joseph was Jacob's beloved son, yet his life was very different than the rest of his brethren. It was tough. He went through hardship. He went through difficulty to ultimately be exalted the way he was. And Jesus Christ is Jehovah's beloved son, yet his life was very different than any sinner whose place he took. No other sinner gets whipped within an inch of his life. What other sinner gets beaten like that and betrayed and forsaken like that? No, no, no. Jesus Christ was separate from sinners, made like us, but separate from us because he walked a very different path. Don't you want a high priest that experienced all those things? Don't you want a high priest that experienced the depths of despair, betrayal, hardship, agony? Don't you want a high priest that knows and can relate to those things, that has that experience of those things? I do, right? I don't want to go to a guy and ask about marriage problems who's never been married. I don't want to go to a lady, you know, uh, that, you know or, or a rabbi or a shaman that's never had children and have them give me advice about raising children, right? Experience makes people credible, makes people trustworthy, makes you more inclined to hear what they have to say about the matter. Don't you want a high priest like that? Who was separate from sinners? Who went through all those things beyond you ever could imagine? Don't you want a mediator that did all that and was worthy of the highest honor of God? Joseph was crowned with all those blessings because he took all that hardship and still maintained his integrity before God. And Jesus Christ is crowned with glory and honor because God brought him through the ringer and he still stayed faithful to his God. That's my high priest. And if you, my believer priests, are going to follow Jesus Christ, your life is going to be different than other sinners around you. Your life is going to be separate from sinners. You're going to say, oh, well, why do the wicked prosper? How come I'm taking my lumps? How come I'm grieved on every side? You're going through things so God can do something with you like he did with his son. Your life is, your ready? You're different. You're different than your neighbors. You're different than your lost friends. You're different than your lost family. You are separate from sinners if you're going to follow the Jesus, the Jesus Christ of this Bible. The Lord may take you low so he can exalt you high say, why has he got to do that? So you can be a faithful high priest. So you can be a mediator. So you can be an intercessor. So you can weep with them with weep and rejoice with them that rejoice. So you can condescend to men of low estate because God has brought you low and raised you up on high and shown you that he can help you. Now you can turn and help somebody else. Do you see the parallel? You're following the Savior that went through those things. And the crown will be on the head of him that went through those things and still maintained his integrity before God, like Joseph, like Jesus. Folks, I'm not just talking about this life where you stand between God and men for people. I'm talking about in eternity. When this plan is unveiled and this is going to blow some of your minds off your neck, but just hear it. But if this thing is really going to play out the way it looks like it's going to play out, God's got this big kingdom up there. All this space up there that's supposed to be inhabited. And when God gets us back to jump, in a few minutes, I hope, right after the millennium, after it's all gone and God brings us back to eternity, back before Genesis 1-1, back where he wanted to start this whole thing, you know what? He's got a kingdom that's going to be inhabited forever and ever and ever. And all the Christians down here that were faithful, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be little Christ in eternity. You might be the mediators between God and men. And how good of a mediator you were down here might determine the degree to which you mediate out there. So if God's got to bring you through some stuff down here, he's proven you for something a lot bigger than that little dash between two dates that you've got. He wants to put a crown on the head of him that was separate from his brethren, separate from sinners. Jesus Christ took on flesh, yes, but his life was different. It was unique from all the other sinners around him, from the other people that had flesh. Jesus Christ wasn't a sinner, but he was made like unto sinful flesh and for sin. But his life was different than yours and different than mine. He went through things very unique. And Jesus Christ went through these things different than sinners. Why? So he could be that faithful and high priest. So he could minister to you. Go to Acts chapter 13. Let me just show you something. You're looking at me a little sideways here. Acts 13. If we could get a heavenly perspective, we would see things so differently. If we could just see the whole big picture, if we could step back and see the big plan, we'd say, wow, this really is just a vapor. (laughs) But we're so much in the here and now. We're so much in the here and now. We're so stuck in the here and now. And in a 100 years, here and now, we'll feel like, did that really happen? And we get so hung up on our happiness now, our comfort now, our pleasure now, 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 we're like a child. We're like a baby who only sees now, 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 now. I'm, I'm wet. I'm hungry. I'm dirty. I'm tired. I'm cranky. Just, I want now. I want cake now. And God says, but do you see, like, what's right around the corner? Like, literally, folks, like, right around the corner. I mean, if the corner is five years or ten years, in the grand scheme of eternity, that's still right around the corner. And God is proving you, and God is testing you, and God is trying you to see if you're worthy to get that crown and reign with Him in His kingdom. (coughs) Don't worry so much about the now. Remember the later. Because the later is forever. It's forever and ever and ever. Like forever. Forever. Like like Princess Bride, forever, like, like forever. Some of you don't know what the Princess Bride is. That's okay. Prepare to die. All right, so anyway, right? do you get that? Like we're getting ready down here for forever. This is just a little test. It's a little test drive, so to speak. Forever is a long time eternity is a long time and you know to quote gladiator what you do in life is going to echo in eternity what you do with your little dash between two dates is going to determine the effect and the impact and the degree of your eternity my goodness people don't sacrifice the immediate don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate that would be crazy that would be wild that would be that would be nonsense look at acts 13one i i'm getting way off topic here acts 13.1. Now, there were in the church, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, watch the words, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. See that separation? has to do with the work God had for them. Jesus Christ was separate from sinners because God was giving him a work to do that was different than all the people around him. Joseph was separate from his brethren because God gave him a work to do and a walk to, a path to walk that was different than all his brethren. And folks, the Lord gives you experience so you can minister, so you can do a work that God only has for you to do. Because to quote our dear beloved Pastor Mel, the Lord does not send green troops into battle. He doesn't. There's a reason why a bishop is told that he's not to be a novice. right? There's a reason why an elder is not supposed to be a newcomer, a noob, an amateur. He's supposed to have gone through some things so that he can minister. Amen. And if you want to be separated from God onto the work that he's called you, you're going to have to go through some things And that's why a lot of us don't want to go through things. We'd rather just be comfortable for the next five minutes and waste eternity than maybe see God deliver us in some mess so that we could be fitted for the hereafter. That's why you want Jesus Christ to be your priest. Because he's a man of sorrows and acquainted, acquainted, acquainted with grief. He knows it. He's lived it. He's experienced it. And lastly, Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> Our high priest, Jesus Christ, finally, was made higher than the heavens. The Lord Jesus Christ was a made man, fashioned, shaped, formed for a specific purpose. See Hebrews 2.9? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Put that in your pipe, John Calvin, and smoke that, please, would you? For every man. You see, the Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men could become the sons of God. Hebrews 7. Let's finish where we started. Hebrews 7, verse 26. So he was made a little lower than the angels, so much so that the angels were like, what is going on? Why are you, why are you taking on flesh? Even the, the angels are ministering spirits. They don't know what flesh is like. Those that did know what flesh was like got a lot of trouble, right? Hebrews 7, 26, because the angels that left their first estate and took on flesh, they did it for themselves. The Son of God took on flesh for you. They're like, whoa, that's different. We didn't see Lucifer do that. We didn't see the fallen angels do that. This is something very different, Jesus. You're taking on flesh, not so you can cohabitate with the women. You're taking on flesh so you can die for them, save their souls. The angels desire to look into that. They're like, huh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting to you? 726. For such an high priest became us who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He was first made low, a little lower than the angels, so that he could be made most high. The Son of God became high priest so the sons of men could get to God. Now, I am Italian, so I could speak of these things a little bit. But in the mafia, when you're made... You are a fully initiated member. You're a fully initiated member with all the rights and privileges of being in the family. So Jesus Christ is holy. That's his character. He's harmless. That's his motivation. He's undefiled. That's his walk, his testimony. He's separate from sinners. That's his experience. But he's made higher than the heavens. That's Jesus Christ's privilege. Jesus Christ has all the rights and privileges of a son because he is a made man. Made higher than the heavens. And if Jesus Christ is a made man, he's the only one who can take you higher than the heavens. You know there's three heavens. There's the heavens where the birds fly. That's the first heaven. There's the heavens where the rocket ships go. That's the second heaven. And then there's the heaven where God abides. That's the third heaven. Now, You can get above the first heaven in a rocket ship, but you can't get above the second heaven. You ain't getting through space. At that rocket ship's gonna bust and fall apart no matter what Elon or Bezos do. They're not getting a rocket ship to go all the way through outer space and bust through the ice ice up there and get into the third heaven. So while man might get above the first heaven, no man can get higher than the heavens one and two. You follow me? Only Jesus Christ was made higher than the heavens. He's higher than the first heaven. He's higher than the second heaven. He's up there in the third heaven. He is at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the Father, in the heaven of heavens where God abides. Only Jesus Christ has that privilege. Only Jesus Christ has that access. Only Jesus Christ was worthy of being made higher than the first heaven and the second heaven than the heavens. Because he's in the heaven of heavens right now. Praying for you right now. High and lifted up right now. And they're chanting and they're praising. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. You know what they're singing about? You know what they're praising? Your Savior who's been made higher than the heavens. I'm being literal. I'm not just trying to be like, you know, an English teacher and be hyperbolic here and exaggerate. No, he's higher than the first heaven. He's higher than the second heaven. He's in the heaven of heavens where God abides, and only he could be made higher than the heavens. Only he has that privilege. Only he is worthy. How dare someone else try to usurp that from him? Well, I could take you to God. You couldn't take me across the street. Take me to God. Why do you think Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me? Because he's the only one with the access. He's the only one who's made. He's the only one who's got the rights and privileges. And because he has the rights and privileges, the Bible tells us that we have access by one spirit unto the Father through him. You, through the Spirit of God, can go up through the first heaven, past the second heaven, and into the heaven of heavens where God abides to bring your petitions before the throne of Amen. Almighty God. Amen. Not because of me, not because of a church, because of a high priest named Jesus Christ that liveth and abideth ever Amen. to make intercession for them. Amen. And you don't want to talk to him? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, right, you'll come and talk to the consigliere, right? You'll come talk to him to get, you know, hooked up on something like that. But you won't come before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has all power in heaven and earth, the one who's made higher than the heavens, the one who could bring your petition into the very throne of God and bring your needs before the creator of heaven and earth. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And whatsoever you ask the Father in my name. That's access. That's not pie in the sky, man. That's access. Who else are you going to turn to? Right? Who else has that access to God? If you're sitting here today and 99% of what I said sounded like a lunatic, that's fine. That's, that's how I roll. But you know, if one thing kind of resonates with you that I'm lost I don't know what this whole thing about being saved is. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I don't know if my soul is is saved. I'm not sure what that means. If you don't know, that means you're probably lost. Because the Bible says it's written so that you might know. I know who my father is. Do you? If you don't know if God's your father, that means he's probably not. And if you're sitting there going, well, I'd like to be saved. I'd like to get to heaven. I'd like to have my sins forgiven. Who else are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to this one or that one, and just walk into the religious building of your choice or flavor and think that that man who bleeds like you bleed and whose farts smell like your farts smell, you think that person is going to bring you into the very presence of God when God made his son higher than the heavens? Why don't you get to Jesus Christ? To quote Charles Spurgeon, make a beeline for the cross. Just, I'd get to that Savior, I'd get to the foot of that blood-stained cross, and I'd say, Jesus, Lord, forgive me for my sins. You died for me. You rose again for me. You went to hell and back for me. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to be my Savior. Who else are you going to turn to? And if you're in Christ, you have access to God. Just, just can you think about that? I remember years ago standing on the street handing out gospel tracts with a, uh, a guy who was a missionary to New York City at that time named Chuck Xander. And good man Chuck Zander. And I remember him handing a track to somebody and this lady looked at the track and she looked up at him and she said, very honestly, she said, you can talk to God? And I remember Brother Xander just stepped back and it hit him. He said, yeah, I can talk to God. You can talk to God? yeah. You, not just me, right? I like to get out of the way here. You can talk to God if you're saved. You have access. Who else can the world turn to? You're the one that could bring their petitions before the throne. Who are they going to turn to? CNN, Fox, Newsmax, One News Now, you know, Breitbart, you know. Who are they going to turn to? The talking heads, Tucker right? They can't help you. Amen. You know who can help you? God can help you, and you can talk to God. You can talk to him right now, right in your thoughts, right in your seat. You can pour out your petitions right now. You don't need an altar. There is no altar. Your heart can be made an altar, right? You don't need a spot or a space. You can do it right now. Say, Lord, Help me with this. Lord, help me with that. Lord, help Pat. He seems like he's going crazy again. Lord, just help, 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 help. Martin Luther said this. As is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. And if Jesus Christ is in the office of high priest today, then the walk of a disciple right now is a life of prayer because that's what he's doing now he's praying are you praying right that's what he's up there doing right now is that what you're down here doing you drawing any strength from him touching base with him if uh, if prayer is so important to following jesus christ that he would bring it up in the upper room how's your prayer life christian how's it coming you know what the Bible talks about in the Book of Revelation? Strengthen those things which remain. You know what would be a good thing if this whole church became more faithful in their prayer lives? Amen. It would change us. Amen. It would change you. It would change your family. It would change your community. It would change everything. Because we've got the tracks, and we've got the sound doctrine and we've got the Bible and we've got, you know what we need? God. Amen. We need God. We need him desperately. And it's the Laodicean church that doesn't know how bad she needs him. So God, in your mercy and grace, remind us of how needy we are, that you might be glorified. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And even if your prayer life stinks, don't beat yourself up. Turn a corner. You got a high priest that's still praying for you. Even when you're not praying, he's praying for you. Even when you're messing up and forgetting to speak to him, he's speaking to God for you. So whatsoever you need today, you can ask in Jesus' name for the glory of God. And you have not because you asked not. So you're going to ask or not. You're going to keep trying to do it yourself. You're going to kind of put it at the throne. I challenge you. What is the thing that you want to speak, You know you need to speak to God about, but you just don't do it? I've tried to paint this high priest as somebody worthy of your prayer. If there's anything you take away, is that you could pray to him about everything, anytime, all the time. Amen. And may the Lord do that which is good. Let's bow our heads.